uh, that it just seems to be that I look out into the world and it's the completely, totally opposite set of circumstances with terror that flies by day and by night all around us. Um, it, it's, it's every moment that we turn into the news, whether you watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever your bias of choice. Let me just tell you right now, none of them are fair and balanced, and I'll leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> because they're going to give it to you from their polit particular political perspective. Uh, somebody said to me one time, when I really want to know what's finding, going on in America and get it just the facts, I tune into BBC. <laughs> um, I'm going to chase this rabbit. Do you know I grew up listening to Walter Cronkite? Do you know we did not know until after he retired that he was a flaming liberal? Because he never reported the news through his bias. He just brought us the news as facts. Long, long ago are those days where we just get the news without all the analysis and all the pundits that are telling us why. All right, that's the free part. I, I'll, I'll move on before I offend somebody. Y'all awake this morning? All right, I'm, I'm excited today to begin this new series called Crisis because I believe that really is where we are. I'm not a gloom and doom, fear-mongering kind of guy. Although sometimes my response to every moment of every day of news with a mass shooting at a mall in Germany, with what happened in Orlando at the nightclub, with what happened in San Bernardino, with the, the truck that plowed through the crowd and killed over 80 people in Nice, France, uh, with what just happened in Amsterdam, with the bomb in Kabul that killed over 200 people, and ISIS. You can see right here in this word crisis, you can see ISIS, which is like a whole new kind of enemy that really has been around for about two years, but it's just really come to the forefront in the last, probably the last 12 months for sure. And certainly just wreaks havoc and terror in all of our hearts in the middle of all that stuff going on and the potential of multiplied thousands of Syrian refugees coming into the country, a number of them which could probably already be radicalized jihadists and we don't know. I mean, it's just every moment, guys. I, my children get mad at me when I say, you better call me and let me know you that plane's landed. Because both my kids are getting on and off planes once or twice every week going somewhere. Abby between New York City and L.A., because she's about eight songs deep into a new EP that she's going to release the first of the year in the studio recording all brand new material. And so she's back and forth between NYC and LA, the both ends of the country. Drew is flying all over the place in his sales position. And sometimes I just say, if, if you're not going to at least cooperate with me and let me know, then don't even let me know you're flying, because I can just at least kind of stay in a blind trust going, God protect my babies. How many know what I'm talking about? Because, guys, it, it strikes every, every time you turn. There, there's a plane down because it got bombed, or there was somebody who was able to sneak in some kind of bomb on the plane and took it down and can't find the people. I mean, can you think about the amount of terror that every time we turn on the news, something crazy has happened and we've become numb to it? What's crazy? And, and every time you see another, it's like Will Smith was on Jimmy Fallon, and he was talking about the issue of, of police brutality, and he said, he said, you know, racism's not any worse than it's ever been. He said, it's just being filmed. Right. Right. And, and I realized that when I even make that statement in here that I, I can set people on edge on two or three different sides of this particular issue. 
I, I just want you to know from the outset, let me back up. I shouldn't have to take time to qualify everything, but we support, you know we do, we support all of our first responders. But would to God, every first responder out there had as good a heart as the ones that we have in this room. That's not always the case. And sometimes guys with good hearts have not been properly trained and they make mistakes. And it's only going to take one, sometimes in a very powder keg charged atmosphere, to create an outrageous degree of violence and us end up in a literal racial civil war in the United States of America. Because there have been lives that have been taken that, that, that the policeman shouldn't have been the judge and the jury and the executioner. You know that. You know that as well as I do. I mean, I don't, do I need to go back and just remind you of the therapist on the ground with his hands up in Florida trying to get an autistic patient back into the, to the, to the center and the policeman is just, I guess, nervous and shoots him. He's saying, hey, 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 I'm unarmed. And it was a behavioral therapist. Guys, we're going to have to wake up and be willing to sit down and have honest conversations about the issues that have come into our current state of affairs in a nation because we are in crisis. We are in a crisis. The Greek word for, for crisis literally is crisis. It would be, in English transliterated, it would be spelled K-R-I-S-I-S. Those are not the Greek letters, obviously. Uh, but it means judgment. In addition to judgment, and, and God's judgment is always unto victory. When God judges something, it's not just purely for punishment, but he judges it to set things in order, a la justice. Everybody say justice. And as a believer born into the kingdom of God, you are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. Same word for righteousness. They're interchangeably right there. If you were to seek the justice of God, we cannot be a spirit-filled, blood-bought, faith-filled, filled with the faith of God, loving Jesus, believer in the United States of America, attempting to walk in the principles of abundant life and seeing other brothers and sisters in unjust circumstances and not speak up for them. Because if Jesus were walking here right now in flesh and blood, he would be dealing with and ministering to the marginalized in society and to those that are being mistreated. Do you realize that? In the middle of this crisis, we can't just square off and draw lines in the sand and just go into our own little enclaves where we all look the same and dress the same and have the same color skin, live in the same neighborhoods and drive the same kind of cars and the same square footage of our houses and the same amount of education, the same amount of income. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. That's not what the church is about. The church from the beginning was supposed to be a people out of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue to reconcile and bring the peace of God to the earth. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. I went to China in 1996 and then on to Mongolia. And I had the privilege of meeting the great, 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 however many down, probably 25 or 30 greats of the grandson of Genghis Khan, the great Mongolian warrior. His great, 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 great grandson had gotten saved, confessed Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, been born again, filled the Holy Spirit, and was part of a fresh revival move in Mongolia. And we rushed over there with uh, Dick Eastman's ministry called Change the World School of Prayer to set up a Bible school to begin to have a couple of outposts to train some of these new believers and grow them into shepherds that could lead this new body of Christ in Mongolia. 
We were there for a month in Mongolia for about two and a half weeks, Ulaanbaatar, the capital, Erdnet, the university city. While I was there, I met in these little round Mongolian tents. I ate a whole lot of Mongolian beef while I was there too. <laughs> uh, in these little tents, and it was so precious because we were able to take, our church bought a brand new, um, I forget the brand of guitar. It was a really nice, expensive guitar. And we took it to one of those little tent churches in Mongolia and gave it as our gift from Victory Church. And the pastor wept, and he was really an amazing young guitarist. And I took it and tuned it and strummed a little bit, and I handed it to him, thinking he didn't know what he was doing, and he retuned it and brought, <laughs> and brought the presence of God down into the room. How I many know it helps if you've got somebody who knows what they're doing? Now, you give me a set of keys, and I'm fine, but you start messing with them strings, I don't know what I'm pulling anyway. <laughs> and, and so we were there. One of the things that I learned is the beauty of this Mongolian and the Chinese culture in the war that it existed between the two cultures, I learned that this word in Chinese for crisis consists of two characters. In our English language, we have 26 letters we have to learn and know. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, Pimento, Cheese is the way Dawn said it when she was growing up. L, Pimento, Cheese, pure S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. 26 letters. We learn them. The letters form words. Words are grouped into sentences. Sentences become paragraphs. Paragraphs become chapters. Chapters become books or contracts or legal documents or stories, blogs on the Internet. But it's a very simple system of 26 letters that become words, that become sentences, that make meaning, and that we can communicate without hearing somebody say it. They can write it, and they can send it in a message, put it in a letter, and we can read what they're thinking about. We can read their intention. We can read, we can learn things. Well, Chinese is extremely complicated. There are literally 50,000 characters. And it, just to read the ordinary everyday newspaper, you need to know about 4,000 characters just to read the newspaper. But the Chinese language has 50,000 different characters, and you put those characters together, and they form meanings. It's like pictograms, okay? It would be like every time you wanted an apple, you would have to see the picture of an apple. And if you wanted a green one, it'd have to be green and not red. And so you're reading all of these different characters. The interesting thing about the word crisis in Chinese is it exists with two characters. One is very clearly danger. Everybody say danger. So one of the meanings of one of the characters of the two-character word in Chinese for crisis is danger. The other one was borrowed during the Kennedy administration when he gave one of his important speeches, John F. Kennedy, and he talked about the Chinese characters for crisis being danger and the second one being opportunity. Now, you can Google this and see that everybody shows that it's not exactly a good translation. That other character means a critical moment or an incipient point, a point where a critical decision is going to have to be made. And I want to tell you that it's a little bit loose to say it's an opportunity, but I think that we can go with that and go that every crisis presents us with one of two roads to take, danger or a critical moment where I'll make a decision that can turn into an opportunity. Are you following me now? So the Greek word for crisis is krisis. It means judgment, but it also means a decision. 
It means a decision point where you come to and, and you have to decide to not keep doing what you have been doing because judgment has come and, and I have a decision to make. I can't keep living this way because I'm faced, I'm cornered with truth and truth is slapping me in the face. And so in this moment, I can keep going the way I'm going and be warned of judgment and danger and a punitive aspect of the nature of God or I can let this critical moment be an opportunity that opens a new door where I learn to walk in the commandment of God. Are you following me? I believe this nation is at a point of crisis. There's danger, but there's a critical moment of decision. There's an opportunity that can come out of that critical moment, that incipient moment. I have one verse of scripture. I'm going to let you stay seated to read it today. The title of this message is called Understanding the Times. Everybody say, Understanding the Times. Let me just say from the outset that I am not a fear-mongering, book-writing, prophecy-chart-painting guy who is into predicting pre-tribulation rapture dates. If you just Google rapture dates, literally there are over 300 of them that have been said in the last thousand years and we're still here. The body of Christ gets one more black eye because one more dude writes one more bestseller that Christians can't wait to run to the Christian bookstore and buy. And here come the four blood moons and nothing's happened. I'll leave that alone. That was supposed to be funny. I, and by the way, I have nothing against him. He's a good man. I'd really rather hear his son preach any day than him. But anyway, I'll leave that alone. All right, that was the free part. Forgive me if I offended you. Here we go. I'll read First Chronicles 12.32. Of Issachar... Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Read with me. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Leave that up for just a second. I've got three points out of this message I want to deliver briefly, concisely. I chose this because it appeared during my devotional time at the beach. I've been wrestling over this crisis series literally for weeks Because I I felt like it would be the logical move. Our pastoral team has done a beautiful job this summer, giving me a little chance to have some extra time to read, seek the face of the Lord, get some direction for this year and part of next year. And they've done a great job preaching about heroes, ordinary people who do extraordinary things through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Give give Pastor Haley and Pastor Jeremy a big hand, if you would, please. Done a great job. It is logical that heroes respond in a crisis. When we say heroes, we're not talking about the Marvel Comics version of Superman, Batman, whatever, all the different varieties. And they've come out in this branding over the summer with X-Men and Captain America, and then now Suicide Squad has just come out. I love a good action movie like most men do. Keep it moving, blow up a few things, you know, (laughs) some guns, some good hand-to-hand combat, black a few eyes. Kill a few bad guys, I go home satisfied. I'm happy. I, I can de-stress. I can get up in the middle of the stress, and then I can, then I can de-stress. Some of you might think I'm crazy, but you know, sometimes after preaching two sermons on Sunday morning, the last thing I wanted, I, I want to watch something with some violence involved. <laughs> Just forgive me if you don't understand it, okay? All right, I'm gonna chunk this at you if you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It just came off. Um, Issachar is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And this is smack in the middle of the David series when all the 12 tribes come to Hebron, to the place of covenant, to the joining, and they come to make David the king over all of Israel. And we have a, a list of all of the giftings, the talents of these different tribes. Some of them were archers. It says of the tribe of Ephraim that they could pull an arrow and strike from a great distance and strike with true marksmanship. Ephraim was, they raised up all their sons to be archers. There were those that were gifted in craftsmanship, in be making beautiful things. They were artisans. Those were certainly involved under Bezalel's instruction and his guidance when the tabernacle of Moses was erected. They were kind of subcontractors and Moses was sort of the construction manager for the house of God being built. God told him to build it according to the plan. Every one of these tribes have a listing of the things that they're good at. And the beauty of that is that they all realize is that not one tribe has everything that the whole nation needs. But each tribe has a contribution that he or they, them together, men and women, can to bring together and for the edification and for the prospering of the whole nation. Some of them are good at leading. Some of them are good at war and defense. Some of them are good at raising the crops. Some of them are, are good at making beautiful things. And all of the things that they do have to be combined in the synergistic effort of building the kingdom of God. Issachar was very different. They weren't, they weren't artisans. They weren't craftsmen. They didn't make beautiful things. They weren't part of the defense team. They weren't... Uh, dauntless in the divergent teenage dystopian movie where it's got all the factions against each other. You remember Tris? Have any of you seen that? It's another cool teenage movie where the got, got, got all the different groups, the Amity and Dauntless and all of them. Well, these guys weren't any of that, but they had the ability to lead. Issachar's group had an ability to lead, and the Bible says, understood the times. So this is my first point this morning. Say, understanding the times. The next one is, know what Israel ought to do. Everybody say, know what to do. And then the last one is, under command. All right, you've got that. Now, one thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning as I launch into this quickly. Sometimes it takes longer to kind of set it up than it does to get to the meat of the thing. The one thing that I want you to remember is this. Our God reigns right now, and he has chosen us for this season. Our God reigns right now, and he has chosen you for this season that you're in, the struggle that you face, the complex set of circumstances that you need wisdom to answer your questions right now that you're in. Your God reigns, and he has chosen you in this season to meet the need that you're facing. Say this with me like you mean it. Our God reigns, and he has chosen us in this season. Now make it personal. My God reigns, and He has chosen me in this season. Understanding the times, point number one. A number of years back, I read the English author Charles Dickens. Now he's a very, very, very verbose writer. A lot of words. A little hard to kind of wade through all of it. But he wrote a book called the Tale of, or A Tale of Two Cities. And it opens like this. 
The opening lines of the very first chapter of Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, says, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the, the, the winter of despair. We, we had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period. And he was writing this during the time of the American Civil War. Before us, we were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison. Superlative degree is when we say it's the worst, it's the best. It's light, it's darkness, it's hope, it's despair. And you're probably scratching your head going, what is he talking about? The Tale of Two Cities is the historical novel written by Charles Dickens about London and Paris, late 1780s through the 1790s, which is during the time of the French Revolution. King Louis XV had been overthrown with his wife Marie Antoinette. They had Louis XVI, the child, uh, who, who was just about to be born. And they were overthrowing the monarchy who had ruled with what was called absolutism, which basically means that the king is law. Now, from the Roman Empire, all of the European rulers had ruled by rex lex. Rex means the king. Lex is law. The king is law. When the Reformation came and guys like Martin Luther began to preach that the just shall live by faith, and challenged and questioned the absolute authority of kings on thrones and of popes in palaces in the Vatican. When the Reformation came, they switched that thing over on its back and no longer was the king the law, but the law became king. And so we see the birth of a republican form of government. Now don't hear a political party when I say that. Little r. Capital R is the, is the, is the, the, the Democrats' opposite. Okay, little r, Republican, is what our government is. See, most of the people in this room think that we're a democracy, and I just want to remind you that that's not what we are. We are not a democracy. The United States of America, nowhere in, its, nowhere in its documents says we're a democracy. We are not mob ruled by the people. We are a republic, which is a government by law. You don't believe me? Come on, put your hand over your heart. Let's do it together. Here we go. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America and to the... What? To the what? To the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We are a government by law. Lex Rex, the law is king. All of this got turned upside down in the time of the Reformation, which began to set us on course to begin to understand and begin to build what we now have in what we call an indirect democracy where we elect officials and we send somebody that we have elected by majority to the governing city of Washington, D.C. to vote for us or to represent us, our views. Now, without going down a long road of a history lesson this morning, and I'm doing a little different path than I took in the first 
uh, message this morning, and I'm grateful because I, I, I was in a Benadryl haze in my first message this morning. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, I'm, I don't have any kind of a drug problem, but I got stung by wasps three times Friday. This was like out to here. I went to Methodist Minor Medical last night and got a steroid shot because of just the swelling, and I had fever and chills. I called the team or texted them and said, please pray. Don't worry, I'm going to preach regardless because I got a word. <laughs> I'm excited about this word. And I may preach to a fever, but bless God, I'm going to preach tomorrow. There ain't no devil in hell or any wasp in my front door wreath that's going to keep me from preaching this message. Now, I won't take you down the trail and tell you the story about me out there swinging and flooding wa wasp in the name of Jesus. <laughs> And I was calling on the Lord. I tell you, it's in those moments where you can really see what's in the content of a person's heart. Because I was saying Jesus. That was the, I wasn't saying any four-letter words. I was saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because I'm allergic to wasps. You remember the picture two years ago this month? Face frozen up. Looked like a superhero or super monster, more like it. And so, anyway, first message I was preaching through a little bit of a Benadryl haze. And I, I'm just saying that this... This situation that we're in is a crazy day. We, we are enduring the politics of blame because the liberals hate the conservatives and the conservatives hate the liberals and the Republicans hate the Democrats and the Democrats hate the Republicans and everybody demonizes the other side and everybody's talking past the other one and nobody's sitting down at the table to actually govern as a statesman used to govern and reach a position of compromise that is really for the betterment of everybody as a, a resident of the United States of America. And it's quiet in here this morning, but I just, I just want you to know that, that Jesus actually does love Republicans. That's supposed to be funny. And that's probably, uh, that's probably hard for some of you hardline Democrats to hear. Some of you are going, we have Democrats in this church? Well, welcome to reality. <laughs> well, you know what? Jesus died for Democrats. That's hard for some of the hardline Republicans to hear because we have let ourselves in the last 15 years become so polarized thinking that my ideology is the only right one. And how many of you know Jesus dwells above all of that? Right. He's not for this side or that side. And when he comes, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. Right. Come on, help me somebody. We can't just stick our head in the sand and pray for an any minute rapture to snatch us out of here in the middle of all of this nonsense. John Calvin one of the great heroes of the Reformation that was able to turn this thing around and putting the law of God front and center above the law of one individual king or queen or a monarch or a tyrant or a despot and begin to preach the gospel so that there was an investment and a change all over Europe that began to take place that spread out over the known world. He said this. He said, when God decides to judge a nation, He sends them wicked rulers. Now, I, I, don't know, I don't know how I'm going to vote in November. I, I, I'll tell you this right now. I feel like my vote won't be for either one of them, but it'll be against the one that I think is the greater of two evils. I mean, do you want a head crook in charge that nobody trusts? Hang on, because I'm going to hit the other one too. <laughs> or do you want a head clown in charge that you just never know what's going to come out of his mouth? God help us all. It's real quiet in here this morning. Now, I don't care who you vote for, but just know that after you pull that, neither one of them is a Messiah, neither one of them is a Savior. It's going to take a revival. 
it's going to take not just a revival of outpouring of spirit and good feelings, but it's going to take a reformation that reforms and transforms this nation down to its very base for us to see the kind of blessing of God come upon this nation that we've once enjoyed. Racial strife, absolutely. You can't turn on the television without seeing it all over the place. ISIS has hit again, and it's just another long litany of, of their spreading legacy. Will Smith was on the Jimmy Fallon show, and he said, you know what? Racism's not any worse than it ever has been. It's just being filmed, and that's very true. And we're seeing it every day. And, and, and for the fact that we can always just take one side of that view and never sit down and listen to realize that we have to, we have to enter into the pain of our African-American brothers and sisters. When they're screaming black lives matter, they're not saying that white lives don't matter. They're saying until black lives do matter, all lives don't matter. And, and we've got to recognize that. Because there have been mistakes that have been made. There have been mistakes that have been made by good cops who shot too soon. And there have been some, those guys out here that are just grabbing for guns and wrestling down. And frankly, I'm going to tell you, if this offends somebody, it's the truth. They got what they deserve. Because sit down and shut up. Do you see that the crazy thing about the kingdom of God is it doesn't put you clearly in either camp, but it makes you stand up in the middle of it and go, guys, there's some truth on both sides of this thing. And in the middle of this crisis, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the fear that hits us on every corner and every side and people whose families are broken and hurting? I believe we need the spirit that was on the tribe of Issachar. Quickly, understanding the times, the politics of blame. We can't keep playing these games. We have a mission. The church has a mission. Everybody say the church has a mission. The church has a mission and that it is called to be a demonstration Peace in the middle of strife. It's called to be love in the middle of fear and war and everything around us. And when everything looks like it's going to tear up on every side around us, there is a place of safety where red and yellow and black and white can come together and go, look, I realize they're all different kinds of perspectives, but in Christ, I'm swallowed up into something that is bigger than I am. My group, my skin color, my education, my privilege or no privilege. And it just breaks my heart to see that as long as we keep playing this politics of blame, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I kind of wonder if I'm, I'm leaning into a little bit of becoming a conspiracy theorist because I think there's something to the fact that if they, if the media can keep everybody divided, then they can control us. If we ever unite and realize that we are bigger than just the color of our skin or our personal culture or our life experiences and we can sit down and open our ears and listen to our other brothers that are different than we are, maybe we can actually come together and accomplish something great for the kingdom of God. Because that's what the church is supposed to do. The church has always fought these battles before society did. The church was just barely born when the, already the Greeks, they were the outsiders. They weren't black. They weren't African. They weren't slaves. They weren't necessarily mistreated or marginalized, but it was a group of Greek widows that went to the apostles and said, look, everybody else is getting something to eat, but we're not. Our group's not being, being taken care of. Because there was a little bit of a Jewish prejudice in the early church. They thought that the Jews had things a little bit better, and really, in order to really become a Christian, you better become a Jew first. And they're going to bring that all the way to Acts 15, where a council is going to decide, no, you don't have to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and become a Christian. 
And until they dealt with that, until leaders stood up in the church and said, I rebuke you, Jews, accepted covenant people, abundant living kind of people, walking in the blessing of God, understanding the commandments of the Lord and seeing what it means to have the reward of obedience on your lives. Shame on you for looking down at these Greeks because they're marginalized and you're calling them Gentile dogs. Same thing, it's just today you move to Crittenden County and it's white and black. It's quiet in here, but I'm preaching real good. <laughs> and if we ever think that we have a blessing on our lives because of the color of our skin, God forbid, because he can so quickly bring judgment to that kind of a mentality. We need to understand the times. We need to quit playing the politics of blame. We need to build a church based on grace. Grace is bigger than race. Grace has more letters. Put God in front of race. G, race. And you see that race gets swallowed up. In Christ, we are neither... Bond nor free, slave or free, black or white, Scythian or Greek, male or female even. All of these things that we want to draw lines of distinction all of a sudden become blurred and we're united in something bigger than we are and that is in Christ and in Christ alone. He is our cornerstone. Put your hands together and give him praise. Point number two. Speaking of the mission of the church, we need to know what to do. It's one thing to understand the times and I'm not talking about the newspaper exegesis, the way these left-behind writers paint these phantasmagorical prophetic speculation, making millions, buying up massive real estate, telling everybody else to get ready to get out of here, and they're buying property like they're going to be here forever. I'll leave that alone. It's one thing to understand the times. And as again, as I said, it's not taking the newspaper and then trying to force it back over Scripture and go, oh, this must mean that this is, this is fulfilled and we're about to get out of here. Because we've been doing 300 years of that and it's been wrong every time. It's one thing to understand the times. It's something else to know what to do. The first thing I want you to see, whether your crisis is personal, whether it is in your family, it's relational, economic, financial, it's in your neighborhood, it's social, it's in your school, it's educational. It's in this community, in Crittenden County. It's in this state, in this nation. We may not be able from here to affect anything nationally. We may not from here be able to affect anything in Little Rock, but we can affect something right here in West Memphis. We can affect something in our neighborhoods and our families. We can embrace this crisis point, see the danger as it is, but then recognize that God's bringing me to an incipient point, to, to a critical moment where I can make a decision. I have to make a judgment and the judgment of God is coming and he's showing me by wisdom judgment unto victory. He's going to bring justice. He's going to make it right. He's going to set it right. Oh, hallelujah. That's the reason I do wish he would come because as soon as he shows up, it's going to fix everything. He's not here yet. We're still here. So we got something to do, folks. Are you hearing me? Number one, identify the problem. Identify the problem means you don't just present your side. My dad told me a long time ago, he said, son, you've got two ears and one mouth on your head. What do you think that means? And I'm a smart mouth teenager and I go, I don't know. What do you, what do you think it means? <laughs> and thankfully, because of his grace, he didn't slap that smirk out of my mouth and off my face. He said, well, son, it means you ought to be listening twice as much as you're talking, especially right now at your age, because you don't know anything. You think you do, but you don't know anything. 
And I think that when we're in a situation where we want to square off and draw lines in the sand, the worst thing we can do is shout at the opponent and play the politics of blame and stay off Facebook. Quit your rants. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Stop it. Don't nobody want to know or hear your dirty laundry, laundry aired about your cheating spouse on Facebook. Stop being an idiot. If you'll stay off Facebook and get your face in the book and begin to pray and seek the face of the Lord, and whatever you put up there, make sure that it edifies and builds up and it's grace for people to encourage them. Everybody's getting plenty bad news. Everybody's getting plenty bad news. There's plenty of stuff to tear you down and divest you of the strength of God and to steal the joy of the Lord out of your life. If anything, we need to hear some gospel. We need to hear some good news. Look what the Lord has done in my life. My goodness, I love to read those kind of posts because they're just uplifting. I don't want to hear anybody's rants. I get enough of that from all the stupid pundits on television. It's a crazy day in which we live. There's less news being reported and just more somebody's bent, perverted ideology that they want to foist off on the rest of the, the citizens of the U.S. of America. I know it's right, but thank you for saying amen. <laughs> Identify the problem. How are you going to do it? Listen, listen, just listen. If we can just stop long enough and listen. Number two, be a problem solver. Stop being part of the problem. Quit pointing and blaming and all this stuff that's as old as the Garden of Eden when the man looked at the woman and the woman looked at the snake and they all said, this is that, 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 and it's basically all pointing back to God, really saying it's all your fault. Because you made the snake, you gave me the woman, it's your fault, God. When really what we need to do is stop blaming everybody else because of the status quo. The, the little African-American preacher said that's Latin for the mess we's in. <laughs> status quo. If we'll quit blaming everybody else for the problems that we're having and realize the problems in my own life right now are because of the decisions I made yesterday and last month and 10 years ago and take personal responsibility and put the word of the Lord first in my life, God can lift me up out of and beyond a system that might be plagued with systemic prejudice and racism on every side. I'm preaching so good this morning I'm going to make myself happy. Be a problem solver. Number three this morning, be a peacemaker. The Bible said God blesses those who work at peace. Would to God we had real statesmen in Congress who didn't just priss around trying to throw their weight around when they've got the majority, but we really would be willing to sit down and reach across the aisle and try to make some good compromises that would bless the whole nation. We're in a mess, folks. It's, it's not going One administration from anybody that is really good is not going to fix $20 trillion worth of national debt. How long can this keep going before the bottom really falls out? And you know, you can, you can buy a generator, hook it up to your house, and you can buy all the dried food that Jim Baker wants to sell you out of Branson. I'll leave all that alone. But sooner or later, that's going to run out. If the apocalypse hits and we're still here, you better know how to trust God and you better have some, some neighbors that, that think you're an okay kind of dude or they're going to come armed and they're going to take everything you've got. We're in a crisis. It's crazy. Be a peacemaker. 
reach across the aisle, get to know the people that are coming to this church more than just fellowshipping the back of their head for uh, 75 minutes on Sunday morning. Go out to eat together. Shock Crittenden County, let them see a black couple and a white couple sit, sitting in the, in the uh, I won't say the pews, in, the, in the, the seats, in the booth at Applebee's. Some of you say, well, I already do that. Well, great. Wonderful. <laughs> Are y'all hearing me this morning? Let's reach. Let's, let's, let's make peace. Let's work at it. Thank God that we have somehow dodged the bullet from literally a, 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 a complete racial uprising right here in Crittenden County. I, thank the Lord that, that we, for some reason the grace of the Lord is covering us. I'm so grateful for that. Pray for our policemen. Pray for our, the, the African-American young men. Every time I see one, I, I try to tell them about Jesus and say, please be safe, be careful. Just comply. If you get pulled over, don't act bad. Okay? Some of that could be solved with just learning how to act right. That's not all the problem. Are you hearing me? Do you realize how I had to back up and qualify that? Because every stage that I turn, somebody's going to get offended about something that I say. We have never, ever had a culture where everybody is so stinking easily offendable as we are right now. Clint was telling me about an email at his work where somebody had said something and called somebody a crybaby. And he got called by the boss and says, oh, we can't have that. And Clint said, are you kidding me? So there's stuff on TV every day that offends me a lot worse because somebody said somebody was a crybaby. If they be in a crybaby, quit act, just, just get put on your, your big girl panties and quit acting like a crybaby. Are you all okay this morning? Let me finish. Are you getting anything out of this? Help us, Jesus. We're in a crisis. But you know what? Our God reigns and he's chosen us for this season. Tell your neighbor that right now. Say, our God reigns and he has chosen us for this season. Number three, it's one thing to know what to do. It's one thing to understand the times. It's something else to know what to do. But number three, it's entirely different to be under command, to be able to follow leaders and follow through with our commitments. Very quickly, and I'm finished. Under command. Understand spiritual authority. Realize that God has put some people in your life that are really there not to not to make things hard for you, not to create inconvenience for you. Teenagers, listen to me. Your parents are your parents for a reason because they've already experienced everything you're going through right now. Now, it might not have been quite as cool as it is in your day, but it was still pretty cool for us back in the 80s. Same kinds of temptation. The devil has no new tricks. It's still sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Are you hearing me? No matter what it is, it just comes packaged in a newer flavor, in a, in a more highly marketed, more intense kind of marketing strategy with Madison Fifth Avenue kind of approach on it. They've been there and done that and been through it and lived. If you will listen to them and honor their authority in your life, God will protect you from some of the mess that some of your friends are already encountering right now. That's great. Every parent in here ought to said, praise God. Come on. But you know what? Husbands and wives, there's an authority. You are supposed to be mutually submitted to each other. If she asks to see your cell phone and wants to know who you've been texting, if she ain't got nothing to hide, you just hand her the phone and go, here, baby. I don't know who that's for. I, have, I don't know. I'm just, it just came right off here, right here. But if it's for you, baby, honey, if the shoe fits, hello, Cinderella. Don't know who it's for. 
but you have an authority in your house. You want to know why? Because both of you are supposed to be submitted to the higher authority of Jesus Christ. We have authority in our streets. They're called police. They're not perfect. We should pray for them. They don't bear the sword in vain. Scripture says if you're not doing evil, you don't have to fear anything. But if you're, if you're doing wrong, then it's probably the reason why you're running. I'll leave the rest of that alone. We need to honor that authority. Our elected officials don't have to like them. Scripture never said you had to like them, but the Bible does tell you you better pray for them. That means the one that you're, most of you in the room can't wait till he gets out of the White House. You still need to be praying for him. Because you know what? Whoever goes in is going to inherit a heap load of problems as all of them have before them. Understand spiritual authority. Understand that there's a, there's a pastor here in this pulpit and a pastoral team and their life group leaders and their children's ministry leaders that are there trying to build into your children's lives. Don't be so easily offended if somebody has to bring a little adjustment or correction. It, it just amazes me sometimes how parents can get all up over the most silly nonsense when their kid was acting a fool in the class and Pastor Haley had to put them out. And again, I'm not thinking about anybody because it's been months since I've heard anything about that. I don't even know who the last one was. Are you, you still love me this morning? <laughs> it just is amazing to me. I want to go, stop questioning everything this person is trying to do to help your kid and why don't you discipline your child? That's right. you Maybe this is too plain. After all, I am barefoot. Everybody say, hee-haw. Develop a soldier mentality. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. If you try to please everybody else around you, you will not please the one you need to please, and that's God. Be flexible is my last point. I'm cutting it this morning. Blessed are the flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. That's in the second book of Hesitations in the Old Testament. <laughs> I was with a group of preachers one day, and I said, you brothers know what Hezekiah 3.14 says, don't you? And they all said, no, I don't think I know that scripture. I said, good, because it's not a Bible, Bible book. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know where that came from either. I've had a great message until that point. Here comes the Benadryl again. It's, it's like the motivational speaker who stands up and says, how many of you listen to my podcast? Three quarters of the crowd raise their hand. He says, good, because I don't have a podcast. <laughs> folk, folk just lied because they want to be accepted. What is it with that? It's this thing called a group dynamic, you know? Just be who you are. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be flexible. It's not in the Bible, but it ought to be. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. It ought to be the 10th fruit of the Spirit. After love, joy, peace, love, joy, peace, and a package of figs. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Number 10 ought to be flexibility. Just be flexible. Somebody kind of gets on your last nerve, just ask the Lord to heal it and grow a little thicker skin. Let's learn not to be so stinking offendable all the time. I mean, people walk around acting like they're in junior high. Come on, you know that's when everybody was offended at something all the time talking about it at lunch. Well, we don't talk about it at the lunch table. We just go home at lunch and put it on Facebook, how we're ticked <laughs> off at the person in the cubicle next to us. Y'all still love me this morning? I'm finished. I'm finished. Where's Pastor Haley? I'm looking forward to can't see her. 
I'm finished this morning, and I want to tell you, we're in a crisis. But God says he reigns, and he's chosen us for this very season. Say it with me. Our God reigns, and he has chosen us for this season. In Jesus' name. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Father, thank you for this time to